Our world is lost in unnecessary fear and hurt. Our systems seem scientifically engineered to make you small, powerless, and always waiting for the next great leader who will fix the problems around us. Worse, we're witnessing neighbor versus neighbor while warfare breaks out around our family tables. But you have access to a spirit, a strength that enlarges and empowers you. Even better, you don't need to wait for the next big movement. You can heal the world. It's time for governance by Grace. Welcome to Gracearchy with Jim Babka. Hey, Jim. How's hey. everything today? No, don't answer that. I know how everything is. <laughs> <laughs> Some days are more challenging than others. Oh, th this... Uh, I'm so glad we're doing this episode. So, okay, everybody, here we go. Um, in this episode, we, we want to offer you some clarity about religion, right? The word religion and faith. Mm. And this is going to come across as a real personal statement on religion and faith. But isn't that what each one of us must make for ourselves? We have to make that personal statement one way or another. So in, in a bigger sense, I personally believe it's time for a second Protestant Reformation around religion and faith. And I'm convinced that the majority understanding of what we call biblical faith has gone off the rails in really basic ways. It may be true for other monotheistic religions too, Jim. We're speaking here, though, as Christians. We're done with church in a way that sort of church, you know, the, the building has come to evolve so far away from its true purpose. And what we want to offer in the most simple way we can here are eight, eight, count them eight, convenient expressions of the proper use of faith and religion. The personal statements we're going to share with you are, are at odds with the majority of understanding of these ideas amongst those who claim to adhere to biblical faith. No judgment here. But non-believers pick up on those inconsistencies, and they're not wrong to point these out. So we call these personal out of a sense of humility, which seems to be demanded by our faith. We see through a glass darkly. And these are discoveries that we made in our journey. They are, of course, provisional. So, Jim, yeah. yep. give us the first one. Yeah, I think, and I, I really want to just underline that last point you made. I, I these are, I, I can't, I want to approach this with as much humility as possible. Absolutely. Uh, with the likelihood that even as I'm presenting these, I, I could be wrong and I'm open to that correction. But uh, hard fought kind of earned these. Like I have the stripes to kind of prove some of them, if that makes sense. There's been experiences that I've been through that have been really difficult that have kind of led me to, to these statements today. So the first one is that religion, that's where we're going to start, was with religion. First two, in fact, will be about religion. is founded on sacred violence. And many of its stories and rituals are reenactments of the same. Rivalries heat up and the resolution of peace, uh, which we call the rebinding, the, the literal meaning of the word religion is 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 religion, and a legion is like a group of men. You know, military. It's a military unit. It's the rebinding. It's the bringing back together. Okay, it's legion is binding, and re is to do over. So the rebinding is brought about through a scapegoat, and nearly all myths repeat this process, and so too does the Bible. But what's different about the Bible, Bill, is that we get to witness the scapegoat's perspective in that situation and discover his innocence. And this is the undoing of religion. So are you saying this is the delinking, if you will? 
So what I'm saying is that the binding or the coming together, the unity doesn't have to come at the expense of a myth. It doesn't, which the myth was a, a story that was originally grounded in bloodshed. It doesn't have to happen on that basis. This is a different path. It's a different path to to the to rebinding together yes. around this thing that we're going to get to called faith. <laughs> yes. Got but it. This changes perspective a lot. So there's a there's a, a verse in scripture in the Old Testament that's interpreted that true religion is, and it has to do with looking out for widows and orphans. It has to do with doing justice and walking humbly with God. It has to do with those things. That's that's true religion. Okay. So maybe you could distinguish true religion from other religion. My hypothesis is much more radical than this. I would suggest that true religion is not what is practiced by most religious institutions. And, and you know, I'm at pains almost, and I and it, it's become so trite because other people have kind of picked up on this. They sense that there's something going on, and they'll make the statement. They'll say, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. Right, sure. And then everybody who hears this goes, Ugh. right? They just right. like, <clears throat> okay. So I don't, I, 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 but it's here. I'm actually trying to explain that that's what I am. So spirituality, the spiritual connection of individuals, people coming together to, to, to carry on some kind of mission. Now that mission could be looking out for each other or that mission could have them projecting out and looking out for other people doing the acts of true religion. Um, but they're doing, you know, they're coming together for that purpose I'm suggesting to you that that's not what most of what religion is about. Most of it is about dividing. And those divisions are created, the unities with inside those divisions. So that's where you get denominations and all the rest of this stuff. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Different types of religions. The, the, a lot of what's going on here is that they, they've, they've all agreed on the same scapegoat. They've all, they're, they're, they're acknowledging the, the murder that bound them. This is, a, this is a complicated concept we're going to get into pretty significantly because we've already talked about uh, Rene Girard and the mimetic rivalry in a, in a previous episode, which we should put in the show notes right here. But uh, And we're going to get into uh, very soon, we've been promising this for a long time, the, a, an episode about the scapegoat where we explain the scapegoat in, de in detail. Um, but the I, this is both cultures, societies, entire societies, their governments and religions, these big institutional powers over our, our lives, um, all have founding myths, all have violence in that myth. That's what I'm suggesting. This is the radical suggestion I'm making. And if you have true religion, what you recognize is instead of thinking that, that it was good that we murdered and we all kind of agreed on this common bloodshed, that we instead look and say, wait a minute, it's actually bad that we murdered because the most innocent person in the history of humanity was murdered, had an unjust trial, and his name was Jesus Christ, right? And he was put to shame and, and, and torturous death. So everything about that is the most extreme example. It's the most innocent getting the worst punishment. And we get to see it from the scapegoat's perspective from that point forward. And this allows us to begin practicing grace. And I don't think most of what goes on in religious practice is about grace. I believe it's about death. Okay, let's go on to the next point, which is about church. So I'm going to suggest also, related to this point, that religion is not necessarily the same as church. So church is simply community seeking God together. Let me say that again. Church is simply community seeking God together. It is a spiritual family. 
encouraging each other towards virtue and looking out for one another. Now that said, sadly, church almost always turns into religion and the temptation to control both others and circumstances, particularly to our advantage, to make things our way, is great. So this is what happened to the Christian church when Constantine took over and said, now it's a political organization. Yes, yes. This, this, so this institution, the temptations of power even destroy this institution. Yes. It's interesting yep. because uh, I don't know if I'm trying to remember the, all the eight points now. I want to make sure I don't get too far ahead of myself here. But uh, uh, no, I can say this now. Um, the word for church is ecclesia. That's the word that was chosen in the New Testament. This is a Greek term, and it means uh, called out ones. So its roots are not in the Bible. And before I tell you what the roots are, let me say to you that they already had terms for temple, synagogue, and other types of religious structure. Sure. So yeah. there were any number of religious words that they could have applied. So we hear church and we immediately think religion. But what the word actually that was translated into church was not religion. It was ecclesia. And where it comes from is ancient Greece, where uh, in Sparta and Athens and so forth, there were a called out assembly that did all it was pure democracy. They did all the governing that needed to be done at the square, so to speak. Like everybody comes to this to the meeting place because they are they qualify to be there and they all participate in the governing. And they also are the jury, they're the entire jury for trials that would be conducted uh in those settings. Now, obviously, some people were excluded, unfortunately, in those settings. There were slaves and maybe women couldn't vote or whatever, but there was the idea that is being put forth here is that there's a called out group that is being invited to govern. So a church is a form of government. Now I say that out loud and everybody's like, yeah, they certainly think they are, man. They're trying to control the entire country, <laughs> right? Yep. Yep. But that wasn't what was being suggested here. What was being suggested here, in fact, Christ was very clear. Jesus said, I don't want you to be like the Romans. I don't want you to have power over one another. This was supposed to be a model that served from underneath. So people come in self-governing, they join their governing powers together, and they say, how can we solve problems? How can we look out for one another? That's step one. And then how can we start to, from our overflow, from our ability to do this? We live by these principles. We have excess now. How can we begin to help those around us? And this power under begins to change the world. So we're being invited in a very real sense. When we play church, we're being invited to govern, but not by capturing political power. Power is corrupting even to the church. It ruins it. Yes. We're being invited to uh, to serve under. I want to say one more thing about this. I want to put a coda on this. If I walk into your church right now, the place that you go and worship, you say, my place is different. And I see an American flag on your stage. I already know you got this wrong. And I want to turn around and walk out the door. I might stick around for one service, but I won't. I don't want to come back. Thank because you Because I already that. know this is fundamental. You got this wrong. Yep. Thank you for saying that. This is a really, really important point, which I, I know we've already hit in some places. Let's let's go on. Uh, number three, faith. Is believing in a hope you cannot see yet. Yet. You cannot yet see. Faith is a good thing, and every one of us has it. Everyone listening right now has faith in something or probably multiple things. 
Uh, most skeptics have a de definition of faith that requires blindness, blind faith. The blinder, the better. Right. Yeah. And this is not Bill the skeptic's fault. Right. The corruption called religion has encouraged this view and served their power to do so. And so people who reject blind faith, they're completely right to do so. Don't have that yeah. kind of faith. Throw that aside. I want to know that it's real. Yes. I, 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 you know, I was high school. I went to Bible school and um, there were questions I couldn't get answered. I'd ask a question and they'd say, you just have to take that on faith. And that's fine. But show me why. Right. I want to know why that's important. I don't want to go blindly into this thing. And it's been a long time since high school, Jim. Yep. And I've started to answer some of those why questions. Yep. with the same book that they were told, telling me to trust implicitly without asking them. We just, uh, Susie and I got a lot of positive feedback on Facebook here recently because I posted that we have now been, it was 30 years since we were engaged and 31 years since we were married to call it an anniversary. And everybody's like, ah, oh, happy anniversary. One of the things about that relationship is I don't know where my wife is every second. She doesn't know where I am every second. We don't know what we're doing with all of our time, right? I can't account for every single thing she do. You have a very unhealthy relationship. I have a friend who went through a nasty uh, marriage and divorce situation because his spouse wanted to account for every single second of his time. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it was hell. So faith in that situation, like I cannot see it. It's a hope. Now you say, well, it's grounded in some experience of reality. Yes, that's exactly right. It's a grounded in a relational sense. Faith is a relationship word. And we have so totally abused it. Let's look at the next one. Number four. I am anti-divination. True faith rejects fate and divination. Uh, fate is like, oh, you know, whatever it's going to be will be. You'll hear people say it all works out for the best in the end, right? And divination is where you you try to manipulate God into doing what you want. You get down on your knees to get them to, to him do what you want, right? Uh, faith yep. and divination. I, I'm, uh, true faith fights encroaching gnosis and its resulting esoteric processes. So for people who don't know, let's let's do gnosis. Gnosis is it's a Gnostic system. It means that there is a base reality that's kind of corrupt and bad and that there's a higher elevated plane of reality that is perfect and ideal. And, and we go through a process in between of getting greater and greater knowledge of the divine and, and uh, there's initiate levels, so to speak. And it turns out that some of the things that the base people know are complete error. Uh, you have to be able to devote yourself to this, this higher knowledge. So there's this secret almost knowledge that you start to, to develop. So if somebody comes along selling you a program where at the highest levels, you get the secret knowledge, but you can't get it till you get there. You're in a Gnostic system. Got it. So and I'm going to call it out. Uh, Scientology is a Gnostic system. Uh, that would be one of them. And, and, and uh, Gnosticism is already creeping into the church when the John and Ian epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John are written. And he spends time beginning to fight against them there. And they're there all the way up until Constantine. There, there's, there's this fight and pressure going on uh, uh, during, during that era. Okay. Um, and then there's esoteric practices that tend to emerge from these things. You get the secrets and you do the esoteric practices. So now, these are, go ahead. You make the point that um, Gnosis is an indication of the tools of people who want to control God. Yes. Yes. To make God's existence serve theirs. Okay. So do we want to call out the Catholic Church or the Catholic organization? 
Is that think, an example? I, I think this, by the way, I, I'm not, I, I want to avoid maybe being too specific today. Yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm like that in general here, we've got the Pope this, for a long time. I want to say if the suit fits. Okay. Okay. Like if you start to see that there's like these initiate levels that you have to kind of work up to gain hold of it. Um, I, I don't like the phrase either that it all works out for good in the end. Right. Or here's an even worse one. Uh, everything happens for a reason. That literally is not in the Bible. There's, there's no statement that says everything works out. That's not what it says, right? So you, the, we give we give people soft comfort. You know, it must have, you know, your, uh, my mother was killed in a car accident and people said to us at the time, well, you know, God must have done this for a reason. Well, two things. Number one, no, uh, somebody was driving uh, intoxicated um, way, well over the legal limit and they ran a stop sign and we happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Like there's like the minutest of things going different that night. We wouldn't have been there at that time and it, it wouldn't have happened. So this is, this is not, uh, this did not happen for a reason. Now that doesn't mean you can't find meaning and purpose out of the event. That doesn't mean you shouldn't go on a quest to try to bless or make sanctify even the worst of circumstances and live in gratitude. Like that, I believe in that. But uh, the idea that this happened for a reason, that this was some kind of plan, uh, is not is not accurate, and f uh, uh, you know that we we can go to the book of Luke to find this. Jesus is addressing people. The Tower of Siloam has fallen, and some people got killed in that. And they said, uh, "So what was their sin?" And his response was, "It rains on the just or the unjust alike." And if I could be, this is going to come across as sacrilegious, and it's going to earn us an E for you know for what I'm about to say. I'm about to say something in you know in a different language, right? Um, shit happens. That's what Jesus just got through saying. That's that's the message. Like they, I wish it was said it in red letters. Shit happens. Yeah, because that's exactly what he said. So we know it is it isn't God either. So there's there's evidence of this. It comes closer to home, right? There's um, there these people in the Bible, well, in the epistles anyway, are actually described as antichrists. Yes. Yes. So when you turn on like the uh, televangelists and you see them doing their healing services and stuff like that, yep, yep, this these are people. So so the, what Gnostics end up doing is trying to manipulate divine power to their own advantage. That's that's what they're all about. That's By manipulating about. Uh, belief, right? So they get us to believe things. Yeah. That are I mean, we've done an episode on this, like things you shouldn't hear, things that you think you well, what do we call it? Things Jesus never said that you hear in 16 church. things. Yep, 16 yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. Yep. We can put that in the show notes too. Yeah, it's gonna go in. <laughs> so <laughs> my memory is still working, bro. All right, let's hop on the next one. Number, yes, uh, yes, number five. Yes, number five. We're up to five already. Oh my god. And now these beautiful. three things abide. Yeah. I'm quoting first Corinthians 13 13 here. Faith, hope, love, but the greatest of these is love. Now, if you were to walk into certain types of churches that we have out there right now, you would see that they say sola fide, which means faith alone. And what they mean is intellectual assent to faith alone. So it's, it's, it's a belief. You have to have a certain knowledge and a certain agreement with certain doctrines. That faith alone is the greatest instead of the rest of these. That's what they are basically trying to tell you. I understand. I've been in churches like that and it just doesn't feel right. It makes my skin crawl. I feel bad because I think what people are looking for in these situations is a sense of certainty. They're looking to find answers to tough problems in the world. And the simpler the answers, the better, right? Yes. 
So this leads to an oversimplification. It leads to a large amount of assuming about certain things. And it drives us in the direction of judging instead of understanding. Absolutely. Yes. It's completely judgment. Well, I want to use a, it's discriminatory, I think is what I want to say. So if you don't believe this particular item in our uh, list of things that you need to believe, Bill, you're out. Yep. You don't have faith. You don't have faith. See the leak? The, you didn't have the emotional set. Now you don't have faith. Yep. And that's that's just not right. That's that that's exclusive. Okay, so you know? I grew up in a system like this. This is how I was raised. I'm not faulting my my parents were just fantastic, salt of the earth people, really. Um, and, and and my dad clearly wanted the best for me. And part of why I am who I who I am and I'm able to do what I do is clearly because of my upbringing. And and, and for the most part, I'm 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 grateful. But I will say that the stuff I was learning uh, was wrong. It had some deleterious effects on me. I watched it have severe deleterious effects on others around me. Yeah. I can echo this story. Different, completely different faith upbringing, by the way. Same story. Let's right? hit number six. Let's, okay, so this is where relationship comes in. God, God is relationship. Father, Son, and Spirit. There's three persons there. And that relationship is love. So uh, it's not God has love or God thinks love is groovy. Jesus told us that God is love, meaning God, God equals love. This is the character of God. God is a relationship. That relationship is a relationship of love. And then Jesus said, the entire law could be summed up in two commandments. Yep. So you want to know how to practice the law. You read the stuff that's in there. You say, why is this the law? Why is anything a rule? So if, if it's a, a rule is good and, and then it'll be, you'll find these characteristics to it. Love God and love your neighbor. Those are the two commandments that sum up the entire law. It's is, uh, pretty, pretty cut and dried. I mean, it's, it's a very heartfelt um, ethos in which to operate. Yeah, it, it, uh, probably of all the things in the list, this is probably the thing that you most see us talking about on Grace Archie. Probably of all the things that are on this list, this is probably the thing you see most of what my career has been about, especially the last little more than a decade. Um, these, This has profound implications. My faith is grounded on the idea that God is love. I start there. My faith is grounded on the idea that God is relationship. I start there. My faith is grounded in the fact that man, man and woman are made in the male and female made in the image of God. And I start there. Those are the places from which I start and I start to extrapolate from those. Right. Uh, I don't pick some obscure passage and then work backwards to try to invent something. I don't try to invent a doctrine here. These are fundamentals. These are basics. These are the these are the foundations. And, and, and if I start off the... with love then 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 things should be different grace is love and operation right grace Correct. deals grace deals with a specific place okay uh, you know what i'm really glad you asked this question so i, I want to lay out a little something here um and we will get into this more deeply at some point too relationship the key concept inside relationship is reciprocity so you know, if we're playing checkers, I move, then you move. That's that's basic reciprocity, right? So, Bill, I say hello. Now, what do you say back? Hey, man. Okay. So there's reciprocity. Right. Okay. 
I say, I, I have some money. I want to buy uh, that, that beautiful stained glass in the background. And you say, yeah, you know, it's going to cost whatever. And we exchange. And now that becomes my backdrop. Okay. Like that's reciprocity. Those are all positive forms of reciprocity. There's also negative forms of reciprocity. So it's positive and negative reciprocity. And what I'm saying is that uh, in grace, we are, this is the way that we deal with reciprocity where something has agitated us. Something bothers me. So I see now that you showed up on this morning's show with your head shaved and you got a swastika on your shirt. Okay. And this is the first time I've seen you behave this way. So I should be concerned. See what most people will say is, well, you know, he just showed up looking that way. The next thing I got to do is punch him in the mouth. Now you're a little far away from me, so I can't do it. Right. It'll take me a couple of days to get there, but I'll get there and I'll sock you in the mouth and that'll fix it. Or I can shame you and that'll fix it. And I'm saying all those strategies are wrong. They don't lead to the to the best possible outcome that the place at which I should start is understanding you. I should try to figure out what your deal is and that the best chance I have of potentially changing your mind about where you're at right now is by listening to you, by hearing you fully, by treating you with kindness. And it might not happen the very first time we sit together. So it's not like I can be goal driven. This is where we get into the trouble of like uh, proselytizing. Right, right. right it has to be that I just simply, uh, simply extend uh, a form of mercy to you and it can be love, but I'm extending that to you. And so, and, and then we help you, you that way. That's the best way that for us to have peace, which matters. It's also the best way to diffuse the negative energy that you're bringing to this with your new haircut and fancy shirt. This is the lemonade on the front porch. Yes. That we like to refer to. Yes. Yeah, so I great. think I bring grace and up as I focus on grace instead of love, because where we're talking about the realm that we're talking about all the time are these reciprocity issues that we typically just too bluntly call politics or policy. Right. Right. But there's reciprocity issues under these, those things. So how did, uh, is, is, is it Gandhi that basically said if in, in an eye for an eye world, uh, everyone ends Everybody's up blind, be blind. Yes. Right. Uh, yep. that is not. By the way, it's not completely accurate. Somebody's going to be left with an eye, right? But, uh, but if if uh, if you understand that the concept is that someone has to break break that moment, they have to stop, and then that's where the thing forks between scapegoating and grace. Scapegoating is the opposite. We're going to commit one final murder that settles it. We're going to sprinkle that blood over top of that situation. We're all going to agree now that we've joined in this murder together, that we are going to have peace with one another. Right. And after we're done, we'll have some rituals and taboos. The rituals will help us recreate the, the murder so that we don't forget it. And the taboos will be the actions that we prohibit going forward so that we never have this happen again. We'll cover all this in more detail in the scapegoat episode. That's yeah. path one. And that's the normal path most of the time. Violence escalates to that point. It just keeps escalating. We want to de-escalate, not escalate, yes. de-escalate. Grace yeah. is the de-escalation move. So uh, you mentioned you said a couple of words that triggered me because point seven is about the golden rule. Let's go there. Okay. So in case you thought earlier that I used the word faith incorrectly, please know that I do use it properly. Because principalities principalities and powers suggest that the golden rule is unrealistic. So a big moment for me when Ron Paul suggested we need a golden rule in foreign policy during a presidential debate in 2012, he was interrupted 
he was largely booed by a crowd that was filled with churchgoers. And Ron Paul, at that instance, had correct faith. The crowd, on the other hand, was literally booing the word. And I mean the word, capital T, capital W, the word, as in, in the beginning was the word. Recall once upon a time that a crowd also shouted, crucify him. And the rebinding at that time required it. This really gives me pause. In 2012, church-going, believing people decided that there was a separation between their democratic government in America and the word of God. Yes. And he specifically called for a golden rule in foreign policy. In foreign and policy, right. The reason I'm sitting here today talking to you, the reason we know each other, the reason this show exists, all starts that night. I'm watching this live on TV as it happens. And it, it rocked me. I was stunned. I was is this stunned. A, is this a poor reading of the separation of church and state? Yes. Yes, because the separation of church and state never said that the people that were going into state should leave their faith behind. It never said that they should stop being good people, that they should stop loving God, that they should stop loving one another. It never said that. There's no, in Galatians, Paul said, there's no law against these things. All the, the fruits, they're called fruits of the spirit. There's no law against these things. So what he was saying at the moment is that we should be trying to find a path to peace. We should understand our enemies' concerns. Hey, you know what? Maybe we should have lemonade with our enemies. Yeah. Hey, I can't give too much credit for too many things to Donald Trump. But can I give him one piece of credit? Can we extend one piece of like kudos? If you and must. that was that when, when Barack Obama left office, he was trying to tell him we have a serious problem, a real big problem with North Korea. Yeah, I see where you're going and here. Trump diffused that. He went over and met with them. He shook his yep. hand. Yep. He hung out with them. They had a summit. They met together. That didn't happen before. And if you notice, it's not happening now. It went away. And we have weapons testing going on in North Korea again. But they stopped for a period of years. Now, the, I don't think he shirked from his responsibility because he made clear, look, if there's going to be an attack or you get a little too close, we're going to have a problem. But he still went over and he sat down and talked to him and it diffused. Look how much diffusal happened just by giving attention, just by saying, I want to hear your deal. So for all the bombast that he's known for, this is a moment of tremendous grace. Significant grace that probably helped keep peace for a while. You know, I have to agree with you about that, Jim. I have to agree. Imagine what could happen if that same kind of grace could be applied in Ukraine or for heaven's sake in the Middle East. I mean, there are, are you trying to call for a golden rule in foreign policy, Bill? Yeah. You know, ever just hate on me because, you know, <laughs> boo. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yep. But, you know, either it either it's your faith and you walk it or it isn't. That's and it's it's not about a religious separation. It's about, uh, you know, these things work. People, these work. Love works every time it's tried. Mm -hmm. Are you against that? Hmm. Okay, last point. It's the most personal one on the list. I can tell you that living by a principle that doesn't appear to be immediately paying off 
the evidence hasn't arrived like I want requires a lot of faith. And unfortunately, my faith has been insufficient too many times to count. Too often, I'm the Antichrist. That's why we need faith. That's why we need that faith, because we need it to persevere when the evidence isn't coming in and looking the way we expect it to. We did the right thing, and we start to wonder, why isn't the right thing working? But there's a whole bunch of things we can't see yet. We don't have the vision to see yet. Why ET? As in, I have the expectation that at some point I will. Yeah, But I don't our, want to be Antichrist. Our friend says now and not yet. Dave Brisbane. Yes. It's carrying the cross, not knowing how far you've got to go. Right. But not putting it down. Yep. Do you have to be happy about it? No. Gosh, if you hang out with me for five minutes, you find that out. I, I just, I don't think that's even remotely required. Like, I, in fact, I think that's part of why we have prayer so that we can express out loud our pain, our frustration. I think that's why we bind together with other people. And what people don't realize is right before we got on the air today, I told you about a difficult challenge that just dropped in my lap this morning that has kind of, you know, bumped my day pretty bad. It's good to have some catharsis of being able to talk to a friend and just vent for a second. No, but I'm, I'll tell you what, it's like I changed my actions one damn bit. Like when it comes time to solve this problem, you're going to find me right there in that same trench, working off, working my tail off, shoveling as hard as everybody else. I'm not going to get out of the trench and walk away. I want to throw That's some faith. science, I want to throw some science into this conversation because it's counterintuitive. I've had uh, the humbling privilege of sitting with many military veterans, a lot of them combat veterans, mm -hmm. suffering from what we used to call post-traumatic stress disorder. You don't tell a military member that they're disorderly. So that's changed. Post-traumatic stress is real, though, and having to walk that walk is, is ugly. The science that they've discovered about this, though, is that if you are walking that walk, with any kind of hope, you can experience post-traumatic growth. That's fascinating. And the That's suggestion just absolutely here, fascinating. Isn't it though? So the suggestion is that we grow through trauma and that trying to avoid trauma or deny ourselves the emotional content of our lives is psychologically damaging. Instead, we welcome the walk. It feels really bad. So there is a place where you could say something to the effect of everything happens for a reason, but the reason would be my growth. I'm going to by, make sure that everything that happens by grace, we are saved, right? Through faith. It's, it's yeah. that walk. And, yeah. you know, hey, many of these veterans have no religion because war will do that to you. I'm saying no religion on purpose. But I think if you were to get under the hood and find the ones who have walked the walk to post-traumatic growth, that you would find faith. The kind you of faith what? we're talking about right here. I think that brings everything full circle, Bill. And I hope these thoughts are helpful, helpful to everyone who's watched or listened today. Likewise, Jim. Thank you for this very personal and very important moment.